Mark chapter 10, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? The 10th chapter of Mark's gospel. We as a church have spent about 18, 20 months in the gospel of Mark and, uh, and uh, God's really exercised my heart through this account of the life and ministry of our Lord. And really this morning, I just want to share with you what God's been teaching me. And so you're in Mark chapter 10. If you'll look please in the 35th verse with me, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou shouldest do for us whatsoever we shall desire. Would you stop right there and look right here a moment? <laughs> How many of us have told the Lord that? huh? Lord, we got a wish list here, and we sure would like for you to fulfill it. That's what they're doing. They're, they're telling Jesus, we got this, we got this great desire. <laughs> now, will you meet it? So it's interesting what Jesus does. He asked them a question. Verse 36, he said unto them, what would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant unto us that we may sit, one on thy right hand and the other on thy left hand, in thy glory. But Jesus said unto them, You know not what ye ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of? And be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said unto him, We can. And Jesus said unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of. And with the baptism that I am baptized, with all shall ye be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to him and saith to them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them, but so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you, shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest, shall be servant of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word and Lord, how you've exercised my own heart through this passage of Scripture. And I pray now, Lord, that you'd help me to be able to deliver that that you've given me. Lord, I'm dependent on you this morning. I'm asking your spirit to take your word. And I'm asking you to send it to every heart in this room, every student, every faculty member, every guest. And Lord, today... I'm asking you to help us to learn the lessons our Lord taught in this blessed passage of your word. We love you, Lord, and we love you only because you first loved us. We ask all of this in the precious name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Chronologically, where are we at in the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus at this moment? Well, we're at the place where his life and ministry have turned 
toward Jerusalem. If you're there in the 10th chapter of Mark, so will you look up a little previous with me in the, in the uh, chapter? And it says in verse 32, and they were in the way going up to Jerusalem. Now, everything that's transpired in the first 10 chapters of Mark's gospel have transpired over a period of a little over three years. And what is about to transpire from this point to the end will transpire in just about uh, 40 days or so. A little over 40 days. Jesus is turning toward Jerusalem. He's going there to offer himself, as he said in verse 45, as a ransom for many. You know, I'm glad this morning that our Lord knew that you and I could never ever pay the price of our own sins and he willingly offered himself on the cross as our sacrifice. Really, we sit here this morning only because of Jesus Christ. Outside of Jesus, most of us in this room today have very little commonality. I mean, some of us are from the north. They're Yankees. Bless them, Lord. Some of us from the south. Some of us from the east. Some of us from the west. Some of us are from other countries. But, but today we come together because Jesus Christ, God's Son, died on the cross and paid the price that we might be redeemed to Him. Jesus is facing the cross. He's looking toward Calvary. And what does he do? You're there in the 32nd verse. It says in verse number 33, he began to speak. As a matter of fact, the end of verse 32 says, he took again the 12 and began to tell them what things should happen to him. Verse 33, and behold, we go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man shall be delivered unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles, and they shall mock him and shall scourge him and shall spit upon him and shall kill him. I'm glad that's not the end of the story, aren't you? And the third day he shall rise again. And in that setting, James and John make a request for Jesus. In the setting where Christ is speaking about his cross, they're interested in a crown. But what really is mind-boggling, this isn't the first time. Go back to chapter 9, would you, just a moment. Mark's gospel, chapter number 9. Verse number 31, for he taught his disciples and said unto them, they're passing through Galilee in the midst of the night so no man can know him, uh, that he's there, verse 30 tells us. And he teaches them, verse 31, chapter 9, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, they shall kill him, and after that he's killed, he shall rise the third day. But what are they doing? Look at verse 33 of chapter 9. And he came to Capernaum and being in the house, which is most likely Peter's house, his headquarters for his Galilean ministry, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Two times here, our Lord has told these men whom he's invested three and a half years of his life with that he's going to die, and they are arguing among themselves about who's the greatest. Now, before you get too upset at those 12 or those two or the 10 we'll look at in a few moments. Please understand that in 2019 on October the 25th, that same problem exists. Matter of fact, it exists on the campus of West Coast Baptist College. 
You say, wait a minute now, Pastor Raven, we all came here to be servants of the Lord. I understand that. I surrender myself. I've been preaching 45 years. Last month, I preached the first sermon I'd ever preached as a 15-year-old boy. Didn't have a call as far as the ministry, as far as I know, till June the 17th, 1975, which would be about nine months later. But I'm going to tell you what, listen to me this morning and listen to me clearly and distinctly, would you please? Every one of us in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, from the freshmen to the master's students, from the students to the staff, to the faculty, to the administration, to this preacher, every one of us this morning have to deal with the pitfall of pride. None of us, not one of us, are exempt. We'd rather have paradise without pain. We'd rather have reward without responsibility. We'd rather have a crown without a cross. See, mankind, by our very Adamic nature, we have a tendency toward pride and promotion. And when our pride is left unchecked, it will capture us and carry us down a destructive pathway. The greatest battle every one of us in this room this morning face, whether you're a pastoral major, an educational major, a missions major, or something in between, every one of us, the greatest battle we face, including me this morning, is a battle against a desire for self-exaltation. Pride raises its ugly head and it tells us either we deserve more or we deserve better. And friend, that battle will never cease as long as you and I live in a body of flesh. These men are not bad men. These are the men whom Jesus has chosen that they might be with him so that they might do for him that which would need to be done when he left this earth. And remember, they had seen up close and personal the greatest example of humility and service. And yet here they are just a few days from Calvary. And they're wondering, where can I sit in the kingdom? Where's my place going to be? I believe this encounter this morning divides itself into three parts. I want you to see them with me. First of all, I want you to see with me, please, the ambition. James and John approached Jesus with a request to be seated next to him in his glory. If you'll leave a Bible marker there in the 10th chapter of Mark, I want you to go with me to the Gospel of Matthew and it'll give us a little more insight in the Gospel of Matthew. Would you go with me to the 20th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, please? In the 20th chapter of Matthew's Gospel, I want you to notice with me verse number 20 because verse 20 gives us a little more insight into what's going on here. In Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20 says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons. So who is this mother? It's the mother of these two boys, James and John. Mark just says it's James and John, but Matthew gives us an added information that it's their mother. What did they come? Look at it, verse 20. They came worshiping him. 
Hey, listen to me. Some of, our, some of the greatest pride that we have to deal with, it can couch itself in religious terms. There's no greater pride, in my opinion, than a pride of grace. Oh, other people have pride of face because of the way they look. Maybe pride of race. They think they're superior to others. But there's no greater pride than the pride of grace. And they're worshiping him. And it says, verse 20 of chapter 20 of Matthew, and desiring a certain thing of them. And he said unto her, What will thou? And she saith, Grant that these my two sons may sit on the right hand and on the left in thy kingdom. Their mother and these two boys have come with this great ambition to have some secret place in the kingdom. Now, why would they do that? I have to ask myself, what would cause them to do so? It may have been, number one, their family connection. Uh, it's, all, it's commonly believed that their mother and, and Mary, as far as physically speaking, were sisters. So, so these guys are first cousins. It may have been some family connection. They, they, thought, they thought because of their relationship with him, physically speaking, uh, they ought to have some special place. It may have been what Jesus had said previously. I hope you stay there in Matthew 20 because I want you to look back at chapter number 19 a moment. Look at chapter number 19 and verse number 27. Peter said unto him, Behold, we've forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? I tell you that this attitude went with them over and over again. Verse 28, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall also sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Jesus had already mentioned the possibility of some throne. But listen to me, these men now are not just interested in some throne. Did you notice where they wanted to sit? One on the right side, one on the left. What did that mean? Well, in that economy, politically speaking, the one on the right was the second in command, the one on the left was the third in command. We're not given this, but my holy imagination says James and John probably had between themselves a debate which one was going to get the right and which one's going to get the left. You say, you think that? Oh, yeah, I think that. You say, why do you think that? Because that's the way I think. Come on now. Let's get honest this morning. Don't, don't look pious at me. They probably debate who, who's going to have the best place. Who's going to be number two? Who's going to be number three? They, they, were, they were trying to get their wish list into Jesus. Go back with me to Mark 10, would you please? When Jesus asked them directly, what would you that I should do for you? They, they spoke up. And they said in this request, we want position, we want prominence, we want proximity, we want power. See, the truth is this morning, your pride and my pride doesn't want any less than what it wants. And every one of us this morning have to go to war with our pride day after day after day after day after day. Because your pride and my pride has no conscience. It doesn't care what the setting is, Jesus talking about the cross. It doesn't care who's listening in the other ten. We just naturally look out for numero uno. You non-Spanish speaking people, that's number one, all right? 
I'm fluent. Taco, burrito, enchilada, chicharroni. Amen. All right. If you don't know what chicharroni is, see me afterward. I'll teach you something about pork rinds. All right. They, they wanted a place, prominence. Yet notice what Jesus said to them in verse 38. Ye know not what ye ask. I'm telling you more than one time the Lord had to say to me, you don't really know what you're asking for, Tim. I'm glad God is blunt with us, aren't you? I'm glad God doesn't sugarcoat things. Ye, ye know not what ye ask. For, for he says, look at it. He said, can you drink of the cup I drink of and be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? You say, what in the world is he talking about? He uses that terminology again in verse 39. Ye shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of and with the baptism that I'm baptized with all shall ye be baptized. What, what's he talking about? Well, the, the cup is a term that we know because we know the, the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. We think about it. But Jesus himself would use that terminology when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said to the Father, let this cup pass from me. But it does not mean that they would know the suffering for me in sins for they could not suffer for me in sins for they themselves were a sinner, that's the reason we had to have a sinless substitute. What does it mean then? It means he says to him, can you experience the things I've experienced in life? What had he experienced? He'd experienced rejection by his own people. One of the saddest verses in all the Bible to me is found in the first chapter of John's gospel. He came unto his own and his own received him not. I can't imagine that. He said to them, can you, can you drink this cup I drink of? Can you experience this loneliness and rejection of your friends and your family? He said, can you be baptized with the baptism I baptized with? And we know that from the other ordinance. What does that word literally mean? It literally means to be immersed or to be submerged. We talk about baptism by going under the water, coming out of the water. What Jesus is saying to these men, he's saying, can you be totally committed to fulfill the plan of the Father? It's interesting their response, isn't it? Verse 39, they said, we can Weekend. To which Jesus replied, You will. You will. You'll drink this cup and you'll be baptized with this baptism. And they would. We, we know the rest of the story. We, we know that Acts 12 records that James was the first martyr of the apostles. Killed for his faith. He, he drank that cup. He was baptized with that baptism. We know that John would be banished to Patmos because he did not die when they tried to boil him in oil. They would. But Jesus says in verse 40, I can't promise you a place of prominence. He said those seats will be filled according to the will of the Father. Every one of us this morning, if we'll be completely honest with ourselves and with God, every one of us have that same ambition in our heart. Listen to me, if you 
for a moment deny that, let me tell you what the scriptures say. Old and New Testament pride goeth before fall, Holy Spirit for destruction. Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. And listen, I often tell the folks at Beacon Baptist Church, when I point one finger at them, I'm pointing three fingers at me. There is not a, there's not a message I've ever preached before that I don't think that that's more true than this one. I'm not trying to squelch your ambition, but I'm telling you what, I'm trying to squelch your ambition built on your own pride. I agree, I, I agree Warren Wiersbe. God don't want to hurt your pride, God wants to kill it. We all have to deal with that nature. This morning, one of the greatest places you and I could get and try to stay there is get to the place where I'm willing to do what God wants me to do no matter where it's at and if anybody ever knows about it. I know how it is to be in college, be a preacher boy. Think, man, I'll tell you, one day I know they'll want to have me back on campus and preach in chapel. You may never come back here, but it doesn't matter. God's keeping the record. Ambition. Now I want you to see the second part of the text that's before us, the animosity. As you can imagine... (laughs) The other ten disciples were quite indignant. It says in verse number 41, when the ten heard it, they began to be much displeased. That little phrase, that word translated much displeased means they were angry, grieved, and resentful. When I was studying and preparing this message, I read several different men, different commentaries, and I read one and he said, you know, he said his thought was that they were not displeased at John and James so much that they had asked, but that they had asked before they had a chance to ask. Well, I'll tell you what I did, Brother Shepherd. I just took my pen and knocked that out of the commentary. I thought, that's crazy. Then I read another one. He says the same thing. He says, I don't think they're so much displeased with the fact that James and John had asked. They were displeased that James and John had beat them to the punch. You know what I wanted to do? And I didn't do it, but either time. I wanted to cross that out again. You know why? Because that's where I live at. That's where I live at. I'm, I'm telling you, if God, if God taught me anything through this passage of Scripture, he, he, taught me, he taught me not to think I've got to get ahead in line ahead of the next guy. I mean, we live with a nature that says, if he's ahead of you, pull him back, grab his coat, grab his collar, get ahead. I mean, we've even, we've even termed it in great... American language, like it's the American dream. Listen to me, this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm not interested in the American dream, I'm interested in Jesus' desire. See, the reality is, these ten had the same problem James and John did, it was their pride. Their offense was just as bad as the offense of the brothers. 
And you know why? Because when people offend us, what we're supposed to do is forgive them. You remember Ephesians 4.32? You might have sung it as a kid. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ again forgiven you. Do, 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 do. You don't know that great hymn of the faith? Yeah, we're supposed to forgive like we've been forgiven. You know what the ten should have done? They, they should have said, oh man, let's pray for James and John. But they didn't. They were very much displeased. Maybe not with the fact that they'd asked, but the fact that they'd asked before they had asked. Jesus had already taught his disciples how to respond when others offend them. Back in the 18th chapter, we won't take the time to go there this morning, but in the 18th chapter of Matthew's gospel, you remember Peter said to Jesus one time, Father, Jesus, how many times should we forgive? Till seven times? It's pretty common in their, in their day and hour in that culture to forgive a person three times, but they thought that was the most you ever had to forgive somebody three times. And, and Peter thought he was going way overboard with seven and Jesus said, no, till 70 times 7. And of course, you and I understand that didn't mean we ought to count that when we'd get to 489, we'd look at somebody and say, well, that's the last time, buddy. That's the last time. But these other men have animosity in their heart toward them because they didn't want to forgive them. You know, the bottom line is this. When you offend me, I'm supposed to forgive you. And when I offend you, you're supposed to forgive me. It means I don't hold it against you. Hold it over you. Living in the dorm, boy, you got to forgive a lot, don't you? Unless you had better roommates than I had. Best roommate change I made in college between my sophomore and junior year. I got married. Hallelujah. I'm not telling you to do that. Your parents may be against it. Okay. Jesus made it clear that this wasn't going to be the way it was in his kingdom. Look with me, please, at the 42nd verse of chapter 10 of Mark. He said, you know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But look at 43. But so shall it not be among you. Would you read those first few words down to that colon out loud together with me? Verse 43. You ready? Here you go. But so shall it not be among you. These people were experiencing the suppression of the Gentile Romans as a country and as a people. And they had watched, Jesus said, how that they climb on each other. They step on people to get up the ladder. They want to be the ones who exercise authority. And now I just want to say to every one of us this morning, you and I are not immune to that philosophy of life. As a matter of fact, if you'll study sometime, we won't go there this morning for the second time, but if you'll study the book of 3 John and get down to verse number 9 and verse 9 and 10 and 11, it, it talks about a man by the name of Diotrephes and he was a man who wanted to have uh, the preeminence. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 9, he loveth the preeminence. John says because of that, he was prating against us with malicious words. That prating is not a word I use very often. I don't know about you. That's just not part of my vocabulary. So I had to look that thing up and see what in the world does it mean to prate. 
It means to make false accusation to make yourself look good. Oh my, how many of us have been guilty of that? Putting somebody else down to lift myself up. I don't know how long that battle's fought. I know at this point it's fought until you're 60 years of age. Prating against us with malicious words. God wants us to understand this morning that His ways are not our ways and His ways are not the ways of this world. So shall it not be among you. When the Holy Ghost of God looks into your heart today and He causes you to look into the mirror of His Word, what does He see there? Does He see that ambition of James and John or does He see the animosity of the ten? But there's one last part of our text. I want you to see it before we close. It's the answer. Jesus restates a principle. We didn't read it a while ago. A few minutes ago, we were in Mark 9. Mark 9, he gave this same principle, but he restates this principle. I want you to see it with me, please. In the middle of verse 43, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. Verse 44, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Now I want you to underline two words. I'm going to get you to circle two words if you don't mind because they are great contrasting words. I want you to underline in verse number 43 the word great and verse 44 the word chiefest. Now let's understand and stay with me now. Remember I'm pointing one at you, I'm pointing three at me. You you know what your desire and my desire is? Great, chiefest. Great, chiefest. That's what we want to be naturally. That's what our damning nature says we deserve. Great, chiefest. And every one of us, our flesh, naturally... Wants that. But I want you to, under, I want you to circle two words because they're, they are words that contrast with those two words, great and chiefest. In verse 30, 43, it's the last word, minister. And verse 44, it's the third from the end, servant. What a contrast. Jesus said, you want to be the greatest? Be a minister. You want to be the chiefest? Be a servant. Now, you Greek students know that that's diakonos and doulos. That word minister is a word we get our word deacon from. It means one who serves under, one who waits upon. What Jesus said to those men, and it's interesting, I didn't pull this to our attention, but if you look back up at verse 42, but Jesus called them to him. Isn't it interesting? Jesus didn't just rebuke James and John. That's one of the reasons I believe that those commentaries I read were correct when they said maybe these guys were upset because they just beat them to the punch. Jesus doesn't just teach James and John. He doesn't just rebuke James and John. He pulls the whole 12 right up next to him and he talks to every one of them because he realizes that every one of us have to deal with pride in some form in our lives. 
He said, you want to be the greatest? Be a minister. Be one who serves. One who waits upon. But he goes beyond that in verse 44 when he says, if you want to be chiefest, be a servant. That's the word for bond slave. What does a slave do? A slave serves without any promise or recognition or reward. Only doing what the master says. Friend, that's where you and I need to live every day of our lives and that's not where our flesh wants to live. But I'm telling you this morning that what Jesus said almost 2,000 years ago is as true today as it was the day Jesus spoke the words. He that would be greatest should be servant and he that be chiefest should be a slave. A slave. Then he concludes his answer the illustration to remind them that his entire purpose was to be a servant and a sacrifice. If you're familiar at all with the Gospel of Mark, you know that most Bible students and scholars believe verse 45 of chapter 10 to be the key verse of the whole Gospel. And he starts it off with these two words, for even. When I read those two words, the Spirit of God spites my heart. If there was ever any person who'd ever taken on human form, who deserved to be served and ministered unto, it was the Son of Man, the Son of God, the God-Man, the Lord Jesus. But Jesus says, for even. The Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. If anyone could have ever commanded and demanded service while on earth, Jesus could have. But his passion was not prominence. His passion was the Father's purpose. In just a few days... He'd take a towel and wrap it around his body. And he would go to each of these 12 men. And one at a time, he'd wash their feet. He'd wash their feet. He'd wash the feet of that man who would deny him three times saying, I don't know him. He washed the feet of that man who would lay that kiss of betrayal on his cheek in the garden. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to have the Lord of glory washing your feet. Taking a basin, taking a towel, Drying those feet. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom. What shame, 
what sorrow, what suffering he would endure in our place. And he himself was a living demonstration of the lesson he's trying to teach us today. And yet, you and I are more like John or James or the other ten because John and James beat us to the punch. This morning, God's saying, I want you to watch out for the pitfall of pride. And that pitfall is found while you're today preparing. It'll be found later in your life when you're performing ministry. That pitfall is something that lays in the path of every one of us. You say, what do we need to do today? I'll tell you what I need to do. I need to say to the Lord, I just want to be your minister. I just want to be your slave. I just want to do what you want me to do. No recognition. No reward. Just please.